You are listening to Inside Healthcare, a podcast presented by NCQA. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Inside Healthcare. And this podcast just keeps getting better, if I do say so myself, every day. And that's because the quality of our guest. And that takes us to our guest today. She is Ellen Kelsey, the Chief Strategy Officer for the National Business Group on Health. Thank you very much for being here. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Uh, Let's start, you know, let's just jump right in and talk about the business group and what it is, what it does, and what you hope to achieve. Sure. We are a nonprofit based here in Washington, D.C., and we work with large self-funded employers on a variety of health and well-being related issues. We're a membership-based organization, and we have about 440 member companies. Most of those are large self-insured employers, the big name companies that most everybody here in the U.S. would be very familiar with. And then we also have uh, non-employers, or what we call industry partners, and those are uh, organizations like health plans, insurance companies, startups, PBMs, manufacturers, consultants, pretty much everybody that, that works in services, employers related to health care. The, the, the folks who help these large corporations exactly. actually administer their own plans. Exactly. Correct? And, and what we do, really, and why we talk about both of those types of members, the employers and then everybody else, is one of the unique uh, organizational aspects of the business group is we convene all these different stakeholders around some of the nation's most challenging health and well-being related issues. So when we were formed over 40 years ago, and I should mention we also support organizations globally on health and well-being issues around the world, we were really formed primarily to focus on policy issues related to healthcare. But over the years, it's evolved to look at healthcare in its very broadest sense and well-being and all aspects of well-being. And so we convene all these multi-stakeholder groups together to talk about what can we do to improve the financing and delivery of healthcare? What can we do to improve well-being, well-being programs, financial well-being, mental and emotional well-being? How do we accelerate adoption of innovations within the healthcare and well-being space? So bringing all of these different perspectives together to talk about some of the challenges that do exist today and how do we collectively work through those challenges and advance in a way that is mutually beneficial to our par- all parties. Essentially, how do we help them help their employees. Correct. Just narrowing it uh, right down. And you are chief strategy officer. Yeah. Ooh, that's a big title. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What's it mean though? I mean, you're working, you're in the, in the, uh, uh, what are they, salt mines? Yes. Well, as, as a small nonprofit, we all wear many hats, but my primary hat is the role of chief strategy officer. And, and really, it's to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on in healthcare. Where do we see some emerging trends uh, bubbling up? Or, or also, what are we hearing from our employer members as some of the primary pain points that they have and challenges that they're confronting with in terms of providing affordable health and well-being coverages and services to their employees. So how as an organization can we stay ahead of that? How do we convene opportunities and forums? How do we connect with different researchers or other parties to try and help solve for those, those challenges or address some of the emerging trends? The, the really where this talk is is planned to go is to talk about self insurance and talk about these companies and what they're looking for and what you're trying to help them get to, but a lot of folks who may listen to our podcast there they can be providers they can be patients they can be folks who don't really know what self insured means now I worked actually I, in my past I've worked for companies that were self insured so I learned what that meant 
what is, in the simplest term, self-insured? Does it take different forms? What does self-insured mean? Yeah, at its probably very simplistic way to define it, um, within healthcare, you've got self-insured or fully insured types of programs. Self-insured are those programs who assume the full financial responsibility for providing health care to all of their employees and covered family members. So they assume the financial burden and the financial risk. They pay claims administrative costs as they are incurred. Um, in some instances, they might have a layer of stop loss or reinsurance protection. But essentially, when we think about our employer members, the largest of the large in the U.S., many of them are assuming full financial responsibility. So they are not paying a monthly premium to an insurance company, that would be a fully insured plan. Self-insured employers have the full financial risk and responsibility. There are many advantages to that. Um, they have better cash flow. Often they're not paying state premium taxes, so they can kind of keep their cost tamped down and a little bit lower. Um, they also um, have a lot more flexibility in terms of the plan design and offerings that they can provide to their employees. So they can customize the plan. They can think about curating specialized networks or carving out certain services. So many employers will carve out, for example, pharmacy benefit coverage to a PBM. Other employers might carve out care management services or employee advocacy navigation services. And, and certainly what we've seen a lot recently is employers looking at startups or solutions in the chronic condition management space as well. So self-funded employers have a lot of flexibility to customize their programs in ways that fully insured employers don't have, and they also have many financial benefits to doing that as well that they can then pass through to their employees in terms of cost savings. And from the standpoint of an organization that works to improve the quality, whose main focus, only focus, is on improving quality of healthcare for all Americans. How does, uh, I, I guess I, I could say it's undoubtedly affects the overall healthcare in the country when these large companies make healthcare decisions and healthcare offering decisions, these self insured, because they are such big companies, and they do employ, I don't know if it's a majority of Americans, the big companies, but I'm sure it's a significant, uh, significant group. Uh, and so the influence, I imagine, on the overall quality of health care and the overall delivery of health care is somehow affected by what these employers do. For sure. No doubt about it. Um, you were kind of hitting on this, but the employer market or the private market in the U.S. It covers 180 million people in this country. They are by far and away the largest payer of healthcare services in the U.S., more so than Medicaid, Medicare, or any of the government-funded programs. So when you think about both the sheer number of people that are employed by employers and are covered on those employers' health plans, but then also the activities that the employers take in terms of health Healthcare strategy, adopting innovation, certainly does impact a, a large number of citizens in the country, and by extension, covered family members, and then does also influence what we might see in the public programs as well. So talk to me about the commitment of your organization of employers to not only, you know, the sort of bottom line and the affordability and the saving some, some funds and, and sort of, frankly, more control, um, but talk to me about the commitment to quality. Is there a real commitment there? And if there is, why? 
Oh, of course. Um, you know, I, I think employers really do look at this as a workforce issue. Um, we, we do our survey of our membership every year, and we've asked now for the past couple of years, how do employers view health and investments in health and well-being related to their overall organizational workforce strategy? And we've seen increasing year over year a focus around the investments that they do make in health and well-being as having a direct correlation not only on improving health care costs, but improving healthcare quality, which then has an impact on productivity of their workforce, engagement of their workforce. They're at work more often. They're not sick. They're not taking time to go to doctor's offices Morale. all the time. Right. They're happier. They feel better. And then ultimately, that does have a business uh, impact on them as well. So uh, employers understand it for a number of different reasons. Obviously, you know, cost is an issue, but quality and getting better quality care. Um, you know, the chronic disease burden in this country has not abated. It continues to get worse. And despite many attempts over many years to improve quality, we still have a long way to go to close the gap. And, you know, employers also, one of the things we ask in our survey is the role that employers feel they need to take in terms of addressing. What are they telling you on that from? What is their, what do they, I mean, I, I imagine because it's your survey, it's probably more honest than another. But um why, where are they on it, I guess? Uh, incredible frustration. You know, the status mm -hmm. quo is unacceptable. Um, patients are not satisfied. Doctors aren't satisfied. Um, there's a lot of waste and inefficiency and inappropriate care that's delivered, which dries up costs and creates this feeling of frustration and dissatisfaction. Um, so employers are feeling like they've got to roll up their sleeves and, and take what we call an activist role and really drive change themselves. And many of them are doing it directly by partnering with a big hospital or health system, um, which historically they didn't used to do. They were always kind of navigating those decisions through their health plan partner, right? And so we've got many employers who are now looking at doing things such as direct contracting with a hospital or a center of excellence. Or, or a healthcare health care system. Exactly. Um, and if they're not doing it directly on their own, they're lighting fires with their partners in ways that they hadn't done before. So they are really trying to turn up the heat to say, again, we can't continue at the rate we're continuing. We need you, our partners, to do a better job in quality control, cost control, and, and mitigating some of the things that have started to really uh, spiral out of control at an accelerating rate. Hmm. It seems to me, and this is going off prepared questions, <laughs> it seems to me that that especially the way the market is changing in healthcare in sort of in terms of private doctors are becoming employees of uh, healthcare systems, healthcare systems are becoming sort of full service full gamut of, of health care services provided. It's not just a hospital anymore. It's the hospital, it's the specialty practices, the primary care practices, all owned by one entity. And it seems to me that makes an opportunity, this is the off question, that it seems to me that makes a real opportunity um, to make some changes for for uh, for businesses like this, and for that matter, for what we require in terms of quality for healthcare, you would think conceptually that would be the case. Unfortunately, we've yet to see that bear out, um, and many of this consolidation's been going on for a while, a while, yeah. right? And so you'd mm -hmm. think we'd at this point would have seen some of the, the benefits, it. right? Yeah. Right, um, and and it really hasn't happened um, in in some you know pieces in, in areas of the country, you could say, yes, that, that has worked, but at a very general level, 
industry consolidation has not resulted in improved quality, better outcomes, or more affordable care. Hmm. Um, so that, again, is kind of this groundswell of we need to do something different. And Another challenge for and, these self-insured Yes, right. And, and you can look at some of this consolidation, and it's, it's created provider dissatisfaction. A lot of these physicians who went into medicine and wanted to practice independently, wanted autonomy, felt as though they could no longer do that. The business model wouldn't support it. They were getting suffocated by administrative burdens, so they had to partner with the big health system in town. But in doing so, they lost autonomy. Um, they're being encouraged to steer volume inpatient to the hospital, not outpatient to a lower cost site of care. So when you really kind of unravel the dynamics, you can see that it hasn't really resulted in, in what you just described we had hoped would. And that's why we ask Ellen, because Ellen would know more so than I. <laughs> You could see how I would make that immediately. Of course, leap, and many right? people do, yeah. Um, so then you you said we would like to take a more activist role. Yes. We're sort of forced into that situation at this point. What does that mean? What, what do you think the role is of these employers yeah. in actually um, spurring movement and spurring improvement? I think it, it comes in a number of different forms. You have some employers who truly are on the bleeding edge. They are the most sophisticated, knowledgeable employers out there. They have the bandwidth within their organizations to go tackle some of these problems and maybe directly contract with the big health system. But by far and away, most employers in the US don't either have the time, knowledge, bandwidth, resources to do that. So, if you sell widgets, you don't know a whole lot about exactly. healthcare, and, right? And, nor should they necessarily, right. right? But they feel like they need to take up the mantle because some They're of the important. tried and true partners aren't really getting it done in the way that they had hoped. So they are, um, through organizations like ours, convening with the other stakeholders who are part of kind of the landscape today to acknowledge and say, let's put the issues on the table, acknowledge that we still haven't solved for this. We need to do better for the U.S. population, our employees. How do we collectively do this in a way that is um, mutually beneficial to all, our, all parties involved? You can't necessarily have winners and losers. Um, maybe some, some people might win a little bit more than others, right? But how do we advance on these issues in a, in a different way? And so by far, you'll get most employers convening and forums through organizations like ours and others with health plan partners, consulting partners, pharma manufacturers, and others to, to really put the issues on the table and to try and tackle them head on. Um, there are lots of other employers who are doing things around, you know, I would say very important things um, on the fringes. So it might not be the one thing that's a game changer, but a lot of little things that they're doing, whether it's implementing a new chronic condition solution, looking at a new digital resource, looking at navigation and, and concierge services for employees to help make the, the healthcare experience uh, more palatable for employees and their family members, but then also to drive and steer people towards higher quality uh, physicians or higher quality uh, centers of excellence. Here I go again off of the prepared questions. Where, where do these employers stand on uh, high deductible plans? Great question. You know, well, good. Yes. I'm glad yes. because I thought it might be a little testy, but not. Well, it, and it's a mixed bag, right? Okay. We have, and we we survey this question in our, every year in our annual survey as well. We have many employers who have migrated to high deductible plans over the past ten years. Mm -hmm. um, a number of whom are offering them as their only plan offering today. Mm -hmm. 
But what we've seen in the past few years is that more and more employers are beginning to introduce choice back in. So they might have a PPO plan alongside the high deductible plan. Um, and that's for a number of different reasons. One, in response to employees' desire to have choice and being receptive to the consumerism, you know, desires that employees have. But also, Which I imagine is the biggest cha- challenge in, in many cases is. is is that whole choice. I want to have my own doctor. I don't want to go to have to find a new one, well, it's, essentially. It's, it's that, and it's mm-hmm. also the plan design with a high deductible was initially, again, one of those great ideas and concept that didn't actually bear out, mm-hmm. was that by having a high deductible, people would become better consumers of healthcare. Right. They would think twice. Before going to the before emergency going to the room, they go to right? Or they care. would actually right. try and shop for the better quality physician, right? Right. Um, and that didn't necessarily happen. And, and it's just because healthcare is too complicated. And at the point of time when somebody needs care, they're not always thinking most rationally about making a consumer decision. They're thinking about, I need to see the doctor now. What's the doctor that my friend or neighbor or you know relative has used that they, that they liked, right? And so I think this notion of high deductible plans creating more engaged, savvy consumers didn't necessarily result. And then also, and not to not to forget this point, many of the high deductible plans really became popular when uh, the Accountable Care Act was passed and there was the excise tax or Cadillac tax that was looming for right. many of these employers that would have huge financial impact on them and downstream to employees. So they were trying to do what they could to mitigate the impact of the excise tax by implementing these types of plans. Well, as we've gone down the road and the excise tax has been deferred and now talk of being you know, repealed altogether, employers are starting to kind of back off the gas pedal on these high deductible plans. So for a number of different reasons, they're still very popular, um, but they're becoming less the norm to have as the sole offering. I think that you could probably say a lot of people in this building are happy to hear that because uh, we, of course, advocate for access. Yeah. And that certainly limits access uh, but from a from an employee standpoint, it also sort of sets people up sometimes because it's so complex and because people don't understand, regular Joes don't understand high deductible plans and, and all of that really? mess. Should all they, really they understand they, that right. is if you take this high deductible plan, plan there'll be 14 more dollars in my <laughs> paycheck this week right. than last week. Right. And so that seems like the best thing to do, right? And I get to keep my doctor. And then later they find out, well, <laughs> you know, some sort of surprise comes up in their life and in their health. And then suddenly they're in, and in some cases, catastrophic oh, debt. And they're financially right? ruined. Right. You talk about the connection between health and health expense and financial implications mm-hmm. on these family members. I mean, it's it's disastrous what some of this health care um, costs downstream can have on financial welfare of a family. And so I imagine you know uh, the answer to this you you're you've probably done research or surveys and that sort of thing on the value of people feeling comfortable with their health care. I work for the widget company. I always go to the widget company. I work for the widget company. Uh, what is that value? What does the evidence show you is that value of happy employees who are happy with their health care? That is quality healthcare. It's it's strong. There's a very strong correlation between um, the quality of care that is offered in terms of how employees 
have perceived value towards our employer and affiliation towards our employer, right? And so if you feel as though your employer has invested in high quality programs and offerings and is arming you and providing you with access to terrific resources to help you navigate healthcare and make it seamless, um, there's a very strong correlation and affiliation towards employer. We've, we've also seen in other studies um, that we've done in partnerships with others that even the perception, even if I as an employee don't need healthcare right now or haven't engaged with a certain tool or solution that my employer offers me, just knowing that my employer has offered those, there's perceived value and benefit in that. Uh, your membership has embraced that? Are they really acting, I'm asking, are they really acting based upon that? Uh, or, you know, the, the inclination is maybe it's a nice thing, but we're going to hand you lip service, right? Because it's also maybe a little higher, maybe a little more expensive. We have to take on the responsibility of self-insuring. So where does that stand? You know, I, I would say that we're fortunate that within our members, they are, again, the larger employers the in the big U.S. Guys. Mm -hmm. um, they are among the more sophisticated and, and innovative employers who truly do believe in not only the value of doing it from a health related reason, but altruistically feel mm -hmm. as though they need to, and there's a do healthcare the right crisis, thing. and it's right. the right thing to do, and that there is this correlation and impact on the business. When they do the right thing, it's good for the business and mm -hmm. good for the people who work within the organization. Um, but there are trade-offs, you know, and there are some industries in particular that have, you know, a, a harder decision to make when it comes mm -hmm. around how and how much they can invest in certain programs. And so I think when you have at the very most senior levels within an organization, executives and leadership teams who understand the value of investing in these programs and the downstream benefit that it does have in the organization, they're less, far less likely to try and cut corners by removing some of these programs. But there, you know, as in everything, there are some trade-offs that some employers do need to make. What, so, so what do you want? What if uh, they've written the question in a different way? I'm going to say I'm going what to question? deliver it like this. Okay. <laughs> what is it you want? What is the? Give me your your sort of wish list. Top three. What is it you want? What do employers, especially self-insured employers, want? Uh, you know, I would say um, it might be hard to limit it to three. Yeah, okay, right? yeah, I'll let but you go. I would, I would say, um, you know, a, a better healthcare experience for all involved, and that's not just the employer and their employees and family members, but it's also for the physicians and the care community. Um, and because the size of your membership, you can influence that. We yes. know that, right? Yeah, but you talk a lot, and we do a lot of convening, and I should have mentioned this, a lot of the people who convene and are our members are physicians, the providers, uh, mm -hmm. health systems. And we hear a lot from them that there's an incredible amount of stress that's placed on them. They're not practicing at the level that they want to practice at. They're being choked by administrative burdens. Um, there's high turnover, suicide and retirement uh, rates within the physician community, right? So I think it's a better experience for all. And, and I truly do mean that. I think most of our enlightened employers would say it's not just about us, the employer, and our employees, but it's everybody involved in this ecosystem needs to have a better experience. That's number one. That's number one. Because from that, you will then have better quality outcomes, probably more efficient care, which impacts cost, productivity, and engagement, right? So I think there are so many downstream benefits that come from 
that overarching experience. Unfortunately, experience is often the last thing that's considered today right. in our healthcare system, right? Mm -hmm. So I think starting kind of reverse engineering with what would that look like, and then what are the benefits that come out of that? Um, I, you know, I think too, there's just a moderation that needs to happen in terms of healthcare financing. Um, healthcare is growing at an alarming rate from an overall Every cost year. burden in this country. Right? right, it's a huge part of our GDP. Our employers are subsidizing most of the healthcare in the U.S. Right, and it's just con continuing at a rate that is untenable. And so, what can be done to rationalize some of the uh, spending that's happening, and and you could call out the pharmaceutical supply chain, and oh, there's so, a right? number there's of a right villains of, in right. this, in that, and I'm not calling the pharmaceutical, no. but I'm saying that everybody has their own yep. sort of person or industry to criticize as right. part of that, and right? and certainly that's just an example, and it is a supply chain issue. It's no one party there, but as a, as an overarching supply chain, pharmacy spending is you know, considering, uh, is uh, continuing at an alarming rate. And then you think about all these new cost, you know, therapies that have come into the market around some very specialized medications. That's certainly eye-popping um, to the general population and as well as to our members. Um, you know, I think a continuing acceleration of innovation and, and looking at maybe some disruption and new entrance to the healthcare space would help with that as well. Yeah. We're really shooting for healthy and happy. We are. Right yeah. around uh, across the board. Yep. That's that's what we're working on. Yep. Uh, let's uh, let's shift a little bit to what uh, what has what is ahead, and you you talked about new therapies and new technology. Um, how will all of that? Is there some ways we can steer some of that? Some of these developments, certainly technology, but um, even pharmaceuticals. Even is there a way for us to sort of steer that in the right direction? Um, from the standpoint of employers, how would they do that? In terms of steering some of the technology and new innovation in the, in the right productive? In the right productive right. way instead of sort of yep. throwing it out there with sort of the market and we're going to pay for it and yeah. that cost curve keeps going up, right? There's, you know, there's so much I could say on this, but I think um, <laughs> all the innovation has been tremendously beneficial, right? So this is certainly not a knock on innovation or technology or new therapies. There is benefit to each and every one of them. Um, but I think when you kind of look at the culmination of all of that that has come to market is created a very fragmented delivery system. It's made a fragmented delivery system even more fragmented by having now all these other new solutions in the market. So it's increasingly complicated to navigate across all those solutions. It's layering on more cost rather than mitigating and taking away cost. So I think some moderation around that and maybe some consolidation uh, around the innovation would help alleviate some of those pain points. Um, you know, we talk about innovation and, and it being unbelievably beneficial. But at the same time, you know, I think there's a lot of money being thrown about at, at innovation that is duplicative to a solution that's already in the market, right? And some of these new solutions that are coming to market are going to market for market share reasons, not going to market because they're solving an issue or filling a void. And so I think looking at some of the VC investment and and trying to rationalize on that end of things would be helpful. And making, well. I guess, from the business um, standpoint, making decisions based upon sort of weighing yep. 
okay, you're duplicating. We're not and and many We're not pay for that. many of our employer members we have an innovation forum do exactly that they will look at you know startups that are coming to market are they uniquely different are they solving a challenge or addressing a void in a different way or are they a me too or you know kind of duplicative to an existing solution and many of our employer members are really rationalizing their purchasing decisions around really only introducing solutions that are additive or unique or replacing and mitigating cost in other areas. So, and that's an area where, you know, whether it's our employers on their own through their own initiatives and innovation or in partnership with the health plans and consultants are really asking for some of that moderation in the innovation space. Mm -hmm. And then you you get to, we haven't really talked about technology, Mm -hmm. but you know, when you think about all these different solutions that an employer might offer, none of them have a back end technological system that talks to the other, right? And so we, interoperability, interoperability is a right? real issue we yes. talk about a lot around here. And it's it's a huge issue from an employer, from an administrative mm-hmm. perspective and the data that they get to manage and make strategic decisions related to their plans. But then it's also from a consumer perspective, how do they get any you know, consistency around their health information. Um, they're just overwhelmed and confused with all the disparate information that's coming at them today. I, I We can understand that here at NCQA because uh, we certainly see it and we are working on tackling the problem too. We uh, tend to believe that quality measurement can be that central language that create is creative for interoperability and we're working to make that happen. It will, we believe, help with uh, some of the burden issues you talked about earlier for providers and we believe that uh, it will be better as well for for uh, patients and, and coordinated care. So um, we're all about that. That's so um, yeah, send some of your uh, some of your membership over here. We can <laughs> We can help them, right? Uh, and they can help us. Good. So, uh, let me ask you then, because you know, I ask you what you want five years from now. What do you think you'll have? What's a, what's a, do you expect the system to look like in five years? That's a short time in healthcare, even though it, so much happens in it's five a years. A lifetime and a blink of an eye, uh, right? At the same time, right, right, exactly. Um, you know, first I would say it would be great if people didn't have to think that they were in a system right? We call Mm -hmm. it a health system, right? Mm -hmm. People as a consumer to feel like you're churning in a system. Your number. Right? right? That doesn't feel like, and I go back to experience, like a great experience. It's Mm -hmm. not a euphemistic positive affiliation to think that you're in a system, right? Mm -hmm. And so how does healthcare just become ubiquitous and that it isn't something that we are asking consumers to think about as consciously as they need to today Um, and that it becomes just a seamless navigation, right? And that any doctor that they go to is a high quality doctor, that we don't have to curate high performance quality networks because that is just the standard by which all physicians are expected to operate. Because we do do that today, right? right? Right. Right. And that physicians train, I feel for physicians, you know, many of them come out of medical school having not been trained appropriately for the realities of practicing medicine today. Right. So the future physician, you know, hopefully is better equipped and better willing to provide the type of quality care in the environment um, that the market demands. So, uh, you know, I, I think we'll get there. I think we've got some seeds that have been planted and a lot of promise that's showing uh, um Five years, we'll see if it happens in that time frame. But I, I do think I think we need to get there. And quite honestly, I don't think we have a choice to not get there. That is the perfect way to end it with that declarative statement. 
that uh, we have to work on this, right? Yeah. So thank you very much, Ellen Kelsey, with the National Business Group on Health. We really appreciate thank you, you coming so much. by. My pleasure. And thank you for listening. I'm Matt Brock. We'll see you again, no doubt.